praise. Come on, you can do better than that. Praise the Lord, somebody. Praise the Lord, anybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Yes, yes, yes. God is my all. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. For the message in that song. Yeah, some of us are real hard-headed. And we got to experience some things for us to realize. Oh, my goodness. God is my all in all. <laughs> Thank you for the gentle reminders and the not so gentle reminders. That just makes us realize that if it had not been for the Lord on our side. <laughs> Thank you for being on our side, God. Thank you for choosing a losing side and making it a winning side. Thank you. Now, as we open up the word of God, we know Satan has every intention of bringing about distraction, division, whatever he can to take our minds off of spiritual things. But God, right now, we're going to give our full attention to Jesus. We know the real fight's not happening tonight. It's happening right now. It's happening right now. And we know that the good and evil angels that are striving for our souls, for our attention, for our attitude, for all of these things... He is busy. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But Father, we claim right now that greater, 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 greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It's our prayer in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Happy Sabbath, everybody. Praise the Lord, somebody. Praise the Lord, somebody. Praise the Lord, somebody. Praise the Lord, somebody. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, for those of you who are a little concerned about the attire today, we are leaving as soon as church is over to go to the city of Euclid uh, to knock on doors and to invite people out to our first of many events that we are doing in the city. Let me just tell you exactly what we're doing. We have a three-phase process. What's the process, everybody? How many phases? It's three phases. First phase is mingle. Second phase is meet needs. And the third phase is make an invitation. Yes. And so we are operating in our first phase, which is simply to mingle. We are following the methods of Jesus. Amen. The methods of Jesus are not to browbeat people and try to make people believe stuff without at first making a relationship with them. Amen. And so on next week on East, at the East 270 Street um, Park there in Euclid, we are going to be taking our young people who do the outside, which is our youth event. Basically, it's AY, for those of you who don't know what the outside is. On Friday nights, they are going to be transferring their Friday night programs to Saturday afternoons in the hood of Euclid. Amen. I said we're going to be taking church outside the four walls of the church, and we're going to be taking it to the community. And so we're calling it an ice cream kickback because uh, we're going to be giving away free ice cream to all the young people that come out and participate with us. And uh, just want to emphasize that uh, the ice cream primarily is for the community. Come on, say amen. If you want some ice cream, you can bring your own. Come on, say amen. Uh, we're going to do the best we can to have plenty, but just understand we don't want, uh, well, I don't have to say that. I'll just, I'll just leave that alone. Amen. All right, let's go to the word. Uh, we're in our series, Jesus, Full of Grace and Truth, Seven Principles of Bad Religion. Seven Principles of Bad Religion, Part 2. I was unable to finish it in, uh, I said, I'm going to finish this series next week. I forgot I was out of town. And then the week after that, but, but, but can we just talk for a second? Last Sabbath, ugh, Pastor Michael Polite came here ready and full of the Holy Ghost. And 
That was an amazing word that we heard last night, and it was especially for Glenville. Would you say amen? Uh, today, I want to continue in the study of uh, seven principles of bad religion. We are in the fifth phase of our series on the love of God. The name of the series is God is Love, and we're looking at the seven phases of salvation. We are on the fifth phase, which looks at the life and teachings of Jesus. And what we're simply arguing in this season and in this series is this, that the best description of what God looks like is manifested in the life of Christ, period, period. Let me say this. Um, I think that Christians should study Jesus' life on a regular basis. Uh, You know, the old adage is, by beholding, we become changed. And, And clearly we're not beholding enough because we don't act a whole lot like Jesus. Don't get mad at me. I'm, 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 we're talking about everybody. Come on, say amen. How many think we need to spend more time focusing on Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, because we don't act like him. Um, Jesus attracted sinners. The church nowadays is repelling sinners. How's that look? That don't, that don't even make no sense. Jesus drew sinners. And let's, and let's just not make, a, well, well, Pastor, we're in a different season now. No, we're not. If we are, we're in, we're in trouble. As a matter of fact, you're right. We are in a different season. It's called Laodicea crazy. We're trying to call people out of Babylon into Laodicea. What's that like? That don't even make no sense. Come out of Babylon to go where? (laughs) To Laodicea? No. No, no, no. The reason why we're Laodicean is because the Bible says Jesus is standing at the door knocking, trying to, the church folk done put Jesus out. And that's essentially the essence of these principles of bad religion we have put Jesus out of the church and we've replaced him with a bunch of traditions and a bunch of other stuff. Y'all gonna have to help me because it's remote. Yeah, very good. Let's go to the next one. Help me out. Go to that next slide for me. All right. Part two, seven principles of bad religion. And uh, we're going to get right into it. Take your Bibles out and go to Matthew, the 23rd chapter. Matthew, chapter 23. Let's rewind very quickly as you're going there. Just go to Matthew, the 23rd chapter. Rewind uh, just a little bit so we can catch you up to the first three, the first three principles of bad religion that we looked at. They are seven principles that Jesus outlines of bad religion. Unfortunately, they're all going to sound very familiar to you because many of us practice these principles, including the pastor. But that's the whole purpose of the word. The word is supposed to challenge you. Amen? (laughs) Some of us don't like when the word goes against what we're doing. But that's what the Bible is supposed to do. It's supposed to check you. Why are you mad? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so Jesus is, is out of character. Um, for the most part, we see Christ as, as meek and merciful and healing people. But then we get to Matthew 23, and Jesus is not happy. As a matter of fact, he is, he's ticked off. It's an uncharacteristic picture of Jesus. Hear me. You know, it's, let, me, let me tell you something. It's one, there's one thing. You ever know people who are always upset all the time? And who always flying off the handle. And like, I, 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 there, there's always that guy or that person, especially if you grew up like in the neighborhood. It's like, there's always that one kid you know, that always wants to fight all, all the time. And so when they get mad, it doesn't really raise, it doesn't really get your attention because they always mad, right? <laughs> Some of us are always mad. You know, nobody pays attention when you get mad again because you're always mad, right? But when G, but there's, there, there, there are those people who they don't say a lot. You know what I'm talking about? They don't, they, they just mind their own business. And then when they get mad, yeah, mm-hmm. 
You know, they just kind of sit back and observe and, you know, you can't. And then when they lose it, you know, it's time to pay attention. Right. This is really the case with Jesus. And I think people start realizing, you know, Jesus was kind of cool, calm, collected, really wasn't bothering anybody. Matter of fact, he was healing folk, being real merciful to people, letting folk get in the way with killing him on at least three occasions. The Bible says at least three occasions they tried to kill Jesus. Jesus just stepped back, said, OK, mm-hmm, go ahead. Sure. Yeah. Do, do, do you think? Yeah, it's OK. And then in Matthew 23 and then in Matthew 23, Jesus goes postal. Jesus gets buck wild mad. And, I, and what I, I guess what I'm trying to tell you all is. I think you ought to pay attention to why he's mad. Don't just pass it off. Uh, you know, maybe this is for somebody else, pastor. It's not for me. Jesus ain't mad at me. Uh, I think he is. I think he is. If you, if, you fall under, if you fall under any of these principles, then Jesus has an attitude with you. All right. So let's just look a little bit and see uh, what the issues were. In Matthew, the 23rd chapter and verse one, the Bible says, then Jesus, read this, everybody. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, verse two. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So get the picture now. Jesus is standing in the temple. All the religious leaders, the people who he's talking about, are in his face. Now, Jesus ain't the type of person to talk behind people's backs. If he's got an issue with you, he's going to tell you in your face. <laughs> Some of us struggle with that. <laughs> Jesus, I mean, listen, man. Jesus... Listen, his enemies are in his face and he's like, look, I want everybody to understand something. These guys over here, you can't trust them. (laughs) Like some folks get mad about like certain kind of preaching if it makes them a little uncomfortable. Can you imagine sitting under the preaching of Jesus and he like calls you out in front of everybody? Like I want everybody to be clear on something. This guy right here, he's a loser. (laughs) And I want you to avoid him at all costs. I'm saying this is this. This is the atmosphere that Jesus created. It's a very tense atmosphere. I sat under some of that preaching before. I don't know. See, this new school stuff, y'all just, y'all don't want nobody to tell y'all nothing. Y'all don't want nobody to hurt your feelings. You know, it's a sensitive crowds these days. But the church I grew up in, they preached it pretty straight. Oh, yeah. And if I wish you could hear my dad. You've heard my daddy preach before, right, my daddy? <laughs> oh, you got the nice version of my daddy. Oh, man. These folks believed that they were sent as prophets and to tell folk the truth. And Jesus had just pretty much had about had enough. He said, I'm tired of you trying to kill me. He said, I'm basically going to die in a little while. So before I die, I'm going to get a bolt. I'm going to get a punch in. I'm going to get a punch in before I die. And I'm going to use words to do it. And I'm going to tell you, when Jesus says stuff, that's more powerful than if he uses his hands. Well, the Bible says with his mouth, he spoke worlds into existence. When he says stuff, get nervous. The Bible says, look, ladies and gentlemen, I want to point out to you some hypocrites. This is, this is, this is, <laughs> He said, ladies and gentlemen, these guys over here are fake. This is how he sets up his sermon. All right. And he says, he said, look, the teacher, they said, they, look, they, these are nice. Follow these guys. Watch it. Verse two. Help me out. Uh, verse, uh, is that, uh, verse three. He says, he says, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you to do. All right. I'm sure at that moment they're like, oh, praise God. Finally, Jesus understands our situation. But somebody shout but. That's a big old but right there. It says, but do not. Do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. Everything they do is done for people to see. Listen to me very carefully. I want to teach this thing. Be very careful of a religion that only tells you what to believe and does not tell you to follow how they behave. Everybody in here should be able to look at anybody and say... Follow me as I follow Christ. 
don't just believe what I believe, but follow what I do. Everything they do is, is done to be seen. Isn't that right? That's the foundation of their religion. Go to the next slide for me, guys. I need y'all's help today. So the first thing that uh, we learned about this form of bad religion is they complicate salvation for other people. They complicate it. It's easy for them, and they make it hard on everybody else. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Number two, just a quick review. Number two, go to the next one. They convert people to the church instead of Christ. This is a problem. We, we are so hell-bent on getting folk to get information that we skip relationship in the process. Listen, now, now, as I've said over and over again, I believe the message. But I, what I have discovered is, is you can have the information and not be converted. Case in point, matter of fact, Jesus said to these guys, he says, man, he says, you travel far and wide to make one proselyte. And when you do, you make him more of a son of hell than you are. Every convert is not a good convert. Every baptism is not a good baptism. Because some folks join the church and they don't join Jesus. That's it. And listen, and you can say, oh, that has to be careful saying that. Why? The Pharisees knew more than all of y'all and they killed Jesus. There's clearly a problem with having a bunch of knowledge and not living it. I'm serious. If information was enough to make a person good, then the Pharisees would have all gone to heaven. As a matter of fact, Jesus would not have picked the 12 disciples. He would have picked all the Pharisees and the scribes. Well, let, me, let me just break down how deep these guys are just to make you look like a slouch like I am. Look, I got a doctorate in theology and I can't touch these boys. The scribes were so bad. Look at oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is the scribes were so bad. They called these guys doctor. They were not doctors in law. They were doctors in biblical law. By the time they were 14 years old, they had memorized verbatim the first four books of the Bible and the one. I said 14. By the time they were 14, they memorized the first Four books, uh, no, sorry, five books of the Bible. And did I do a, a bro man from the fifth floor? <laughs> huh? <laughs> bro man from the fifth floor, right? <laughs> they had memorized the first five books of the Bible. That's impressive, isn't it? And they memorized, by the, and by 40, they had to memorize all 6,000 additional laws that commentated on the first five books of the Bible. And they were not ordained, Daniel, till 40 years old. They didn't call you doctor till you were 40. These are the guys that created the rules. And now, can I tell you about the Pharisees? See how the scribes and Pharisees works? The scribes designed the rules. The Pharisees were like the only few people. There was only a few of them in Israel. There weren't a lot of them. There was only 6,000 out of 5 million. And you know what they said? They said, we are going to be courageous enough to follow all these rules flawlessly. And so check this out. When the people saw these guys, I mean, they were impressed. They were impressed with their knowledge. I mean, the Bible says they were walking around with long robes. Some of the Pharisees, they called head-banging Pharisees. Seriously, you know what a head-banging Pharisee was? A head-banging Pharisee was so intent that he would not lust after another woman that he would never walk with his head up, and he would hit his head on people's property and on walls, and he would take pride in the scars and blood on his head because it was an announcement to people that he would not look. Y'all think y'all spiritual. Think y'all done something because you're walking around here with a Sabbath school quarterly in your hand. 
Are you serious? These brothers didn't, they, they, they didn't walk around with a quarterly. They had phylacteries on their forehead that contained the first five, five books on the Bible. They put one on their head. They put some on their ankles. They basically put them all over. They were straight Bibled out. And they didn't have to take it out to quote it. Then you could say something like, quote Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 6, and then give me the, the, the Talmudic laws on each one of the verses in that passage. He would run it down to you. And these are the people that killed Jesus. Hear me. Having information without relationship equals a Pharisee that will eventually kill Jesus. You must pursue relationship. You must pursue relationship. Relationship changes. Information corrupts. If you've got information and no relationship, you are a Pharisee. If you are a Pharisee, you will kill Jesus. Amen. Go to that next one for me. Number three, the second, the third thing they do is they create rules that aren't in the Bible. All this is in Matthew 23. They create stuff. Think about it. I, <laughs> there are things that we tell folk to do and we're mad that they don't do and you can't even find a Bible verse for it. Most of the rules that the Pharisees created were not biblical rules. Let me, let me just, let me, can I help you out with something? There is a difference between preference and principle. Preference and principle. Uh, case in point, for example, uh, we're, we're so, we've got, they've got to follow the rules. Let me tell you something. I used to hate rules coming up as a kid, and you did too, and don't look at me crazy. Nobody in here likes rules. Come on, say amen. Especially on your job. But you know what rules provide? They provide accountability. But one of the things I noticed is when I got married to my wife, I got more rules now that I'm married than I've ever had in my life. I got more, any married folk know what I'm, married brothers. I got more rules married than I've ever had in high school. I went to a boarding school. We had rules. I, don't ha I got way more rules married. Don't leave the iron in the hallway. When you're done ironing, put the iron up, put it in the hallway. And listen, I have these things, some of these things are by memory. But let me tell you something, I don't see them as rules. Fix it up. I mean, I don't see them as rules. I don't, not anymore. Come on here, somebody. I ain't always see it that way. Thank you, G. But listen, when you're in love with somebody, you don't see them as rules anymore. You just see them as things that make them happy. Period. But I'm saying when the emphasis is on the rules instead of the relationship. Oh, y'all not hearing me in when the emphasis is on the rules instead of the relationship, you create a spirit of guilt in people. They're motivated now by guilt. Go to that next slide. Go, go, go. Read. Hit, hit me, hit me, hit me. Yes. When following the rules, read that, y'all, becomes the principal focus of a church, then you can count on guilt being the primary motivator. I, I've got, I'm, listen, nope, there are a few pastors who tell you this. Some of you, please stop coming to church. Stop. You're not coming for the right reasons. You're better off finding Jesus in your, in your closet and getting a right spirit than coming up in here with that guilt-ridden spirit thinking that you're earning your way to heaven because you showed up here today. Are you serious? And then some of us are going to show up for worship but won't have time to go out into the community and won't feel guilty about that but we'll feel guilty. Oh. 
Y'all better move to that next slide. Go ahead, go ahead, move to that next slide. Go ahead, yeah, right there, hypocrite. So Jesus, number one terminology that he described, bad religion, if you could just boil it down in one term, bad religion is hypocrisy. Now, most folks think hypocrisy is when somebody says they're going to do something and they don't do it, or say they're about something and they're not about it. Okay, hypocrisy is a little bit more than that. Let me tell you what a hypocrisy is so that we can all identify ourselves as, hypo- as hypocrites. The word hip- hypocrite comes from the word actor. And I told you an actor in those days, there was only one actor for an entire play. And that one actor would take one mask and play one role, take that off, put on another mask, play another role, take that off. And when the next scene came, he put on another mask. In other words, ah, hypocrites live for appearance and for reputation. They are performers. Ah, we got some Oscar worthy. No, I'm serious. If that, no, I know how, I, I'm, I'm real good at it. I mean, some of the best actors, Hollywood ought to descend on every church on Saturday and Sunday and find them some actors because some of the best actors in the world. Y'all don't want to talk to me in here. Let, let, me, let me illustrate. So, so just talk to me for a second. I mean, I like movies, man. <laughs> I don't know if a preacher is supposed to say that, but I do. I mean, I love movies, and I love good acting. Oh, I mean, come on, talk to me. I mean, I have a little action here and there. And I kind of make fun of the young guys that hang in my house because all I want to see is people getting shot and killed and stuff blown up and all that kind of stuff. Man, I want to see somebody act. I want to see somebody sit up there and act their behind off. And that's why I love Denzel. Oh. Look, I, no, 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 seriously, I know there, I, and I know a lot of you love Denzel, too, so you can act holy if you want. Look, Denzel, man, Denzel, Denzel, man, Denzel, 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 uh, the boy can act. Uh, I mean, look, I, I've seen a bunch of good movies, and I've seen a lot of good acting, but, but by, by far, my favorite two roles that Denzel has played in, number one, Glory, should have got an Oscar for that, snubbed, snubbed, snubbed. I mean, the way that boy portrayed that soldier, especially that one scene. Y'all remember when his lips were quivering and that one tear came down? How does he do that? <laughs> and all of these great actors were there. And then, the, of, course, of course, the other one is Malcolm X. And now, uh, y'all take it. Look, I'm serious. To me, it's real difficult to play, to play especially notable celebrities and people. Uh, you know, and they just, your boy just did Martin Luther King. They, it was so, so, so. But I'm saying, when I watched Denzel play Malcolm X, I thought I was watching a documentary and not a movie. Hey, anybody know what I'm talking about? He acted his behind off. And one of the things that they will tell you in order to really get into a role is you have to go in character. And you have to go in character when you're on screen and when you're not on screen. Now, so, so, so let me, let me, let me, let me so, so everybody remembers this, the, the, the Batman movie called The Dark Knight. All right, man, that thing got, and, and there, there was an actor in there, Heath Ledger. All right, now, 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 I don't know if anybody knows a lot about what happened here, but Jack Nicholson, who played uh, Joker in the 1980s, he went to Heath Ledger and said, don't take the part. Said, don't take the part. As a matter of fact, if you go to YouTube, there's a video clip with a reporter going up to Jack Nicholson after Heath Ledger overdosed on drugs. Y'all know he died before the movie was released. 
All right. And, 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 and they said, what do you think about Heath Ledger's death? And, 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 and Nicholson said, I warned him. Y'all, did, you, did anybody hear that? Nobody, y'all didn't know that. He said, I warned him because he realized in order to get into that dark character. As a matter of fact, I, 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 let, me, let, me, let, me show you, let me show you some stuff here that I, that I have pulled, pulled off. It says, Heath Ledger thought landing the demanding role of the Joker was a dream come true. But now some think it was a nightmare that led to his tragic death. Jack Nicholson, who played the Joker in 1989, that was my Batman, that, who, was, who was furious he wasn't consulted about the creepy role, offered a cryptic comment when, when told Ledger was dead. This is what Nicholson said. He said, well, Nicholson told reporters in London earlier Wednesday, I warned him, as I told you. Now watch this. Though the, though the remark was ambiguous, there is no question, hear me now, the role in the movie earmarked as this summer's blockbuster a film for a very frightening toll on Heath Ledger's life. Watch this. Ledger recently told reporters before his death he slept an average of two hours a night while playing a psychopathic, mass-murdering, schizophrenic clown with zero empathy. And this is what Heath Ledger said before he died. I couldn't stop thinking. My body was exhausted. My mind was still going. And prescription drugs didn't help. And eventually he overdosed. In other words, he had gotten so deep into character. He had gotten so deep into the make-believe that it literally drove him crazy. He couldn't play somebody dark like that. And, and, not, and not affect him. Yeah. Oh, y'all hear me now. This is the problem with acting. This is the problem. Oh, I'm telling you now. Some of the most arrogant people in the world are actors because some of them still think that they're Superman. Some of the most arrogant people in the world are church people because they're acting a role. God help me to preach today. They're, act, they're acting. They have made, oh God, I know what I'm talking about. They have lived so long pretending. Behaving as if they are something that they are not. That it literally drives them crazy. And some of us don't even know who we are. Oh God, help me right now. Listen to me. Some of us do not know who we are. Because we live behind a mask all the time. And Jesus sounded the alarm. I'm telling you now. If you look through the scriptures, the thing that drives Jesus the craziest is hypocrisy. There is an example in Acts, the fifth chapter, where there is a son, there is Ananias and Sapphira, and the church was growing. Has anybody ever heard the story? The church is growing, and the church is multiplying. And, and Jesus, the normal, merciful, hear me now, the normally merciful Jesus that forgives people for sins, even the most egregious ones, killed a husband and his wife in church on Sabbath killed him dead because of hypocrisy because Christ knows that you can get so into character God help me to help me help me Lord you're so into character so into reputation so into public perception so into casting off a certain image that sooner or later you will believe that you are what you're not And I plead with you every week for the past six years, this thing has been coming out of my mouth from this pulpit that the best thing that's ever happened to this man standing right here, my wife and I were talking about it last night, is when I came to the realization that I'm not a good person. I don't have to fake 
and be phony and act like I am because the Bible says that there is nobody that is righteous. The Bible actually says any man that says that he has not sinned is a liar and the truth is not in him. But so many of us want to cast an aspersion and cast a blanket and cast an image before people. Fickle people. Fickle sometimey. Oh, God. Fake behind people that don't have your... Can I get somebody to talk back to me? And, Ain't you tired of living for fake folk? Ain't you sick and tired of living for folk that ain't gonna never like you? Aren't you sick and tired of living for folk that's gonna talk about you whether you up or whether you down? I'm when you hear the man of God today, your best weapon is to take away their weapon and simply admit that you suck. Admit that you're a liar. Admit that you don't have it together. You see, when you just come on out of the closet and just acknowledge that you're not the best parent and you're not the best husband and you're not the most spiritual, oh. when you come your behind out of the closet and just admit and acknowledge that you need him every day, every... I was telling somebody last night that you have got to get to a place where you don't trust yourself. Some of you are surprised by your own wickedness. Let me help you. I'm, oh, Lord. My wife and I were talking yesterday, and we both did a SMH up in our bedroom because we said we know we're wicked. We know what we're capable of. We ain't surprised at all what will come out of our mouths, things that we'll do. But some of us church folk are such, some of such de de deception as to think that we are good because we compare ourselves to all the people. You hypocrite. Isn't that what Jesus said? Isn't that what Christ, Christ called you hypocrite? He said, all your faith. Everybody's got a fake moment. Even the person that's always, I keep it real. Even the keep it real folk, you fake too. I just believe that more people will come to real people. Go to the next slide. Go to the next slide. Mm-hmm. And the nominee goes to <laughs> best dressed. <laughs> Look, and I told y'all last week, I told you last week, I've been around a little bit. I'm not impressed by anybody, nobody. Nobody. And I'm not saying that to dish you. I should, listen, the best thing, you don't want anybody being impressed with you. Because what you've done is, is you've elevated yourself to a position that when you fall, and you will, <laughs> just be nothing. Just be a nobody. <sighs> Welcome being nothing. Welcome being a nobody. Well, as a matter of fact, the whole purpose of Christianity is to obliterate you anyway so that Christ is seen and Christ only. That's why the Bible says, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and say, hold on, it couldn't be for Myron and glorify your father in heaven. 
Kiara Sheard sings a song, and the whole thing is just make me invisible. I'll, and not me, but Christ. Let me decrease it. Let him have, let's have church for a minute. How many just need God to put you down so that he can be glorified? How many have screwed up so many times before that you know if you're seen, you might call somebody to stray? How many need, I'm talking to, how many need God to rise up in your life, to shield your stuff, to hide your mess? I'm talking about how many need a covering over your life. How many need the Shekinah glory of God to cover all your mess? I don't want to be seen. I don't want you to see my stuff. I need a Savior. <laughs> hey, I need a Savior. Let me end this thing. So there are, there are four more. Four more that we got to get through. Go to that next slide. Let's go. Last four. Number four, they concentrate on minor things versus major. Bad religion concentrates on stuff that don't matter. Go to the next text. Let's go. The Bible says, read everybody. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Go to the next text. Justice. What? Mercy. What else? Faithfulness. You should have practiced the letter, the latter, without neglecting the. You blind guides. Watch this. This is so funny. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. So let me, let me let me tell you what that means. Basically, these guys were so holy that when they drank water, they would take a strainer, and they well, y'all not hearing me, and they would pour the water through a strainer because they didn't want to eat microscopic, unclean bugs. Because the Bible says you shall not eat anything that's unclean. These boys were so holy that they tithed on their seasonings. These boys were so holy that they would strain. And Jesus said, <laughs> Jesus said, why you're straining? <laughs> he said, well, you're straining trying to get a gnat. He said, you don't swallow the camel. Some of us trying to avoid breaking the Sabbath. And while you're doing that, you got hate in your heart. Yeah, I'm amazed at folk that say this foolishness. I ain't going to check them in the church. But as soon as I get out. So it's like you're saying, I'm going to reference the sanctuary. But I'm going to kick they behind when I get out of it. You just swallowed a camel. Next. Go to the next one. We got to roll. They value clean looking over clean being. They value clean looking over what, everybody? Over being clean. In other words, it's all about appearance. Fake it till you make it. We don't want nobody up in our business. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, God. Just such a preoccupation with people. Just so worried about what people are gonna say, what people are gonna think. And I don't want nobody in my business. Oh Lord. And I'm just telling you, you keep living, and eventually this stuff's gonna catch up with you. Go to the next text. I'm gonna show I'm gonna show them this text. Notice what Jesus said, because this ain't me. Woe to you, go ahead, teachers of the what? And Pharisees, you what? You clean the outside of a cup and a dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. So it's like you're doing all this stuff to look holy and to be clean and have a good look and, and maintain a good reputation, but your character is dirty. Oh, no. 
Does any, do y'all understand what I'm saying in here? I don't think you do. Go to the next one. Jesus was so serious about this that he had to make the point of pride. Verse 26, it says, blind what? First clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside will be clean as well. Go to the next one. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. Let me tell you what a whitewashed tomb was. During the Passover season, if you touch, for example, in those days, if you touch a dead body or a, a place where dead bodies were, like a, like a tomb, then you were unclean and could not worship. Everybody got that? So what they would do a month or two months before Passover is they would take lime, limestones, and ground it up with water to create a white paste. They'd take that white paste and they would paint every place where a dead body would be so that when people would come, they would avoid touching that which was unclean. Jesus is saying, hey, that's kind of what y'all look like. Somebody cleaned y'all up on the outside, but on the inside ain't nothing but death. There's bones on the inside. Brothers and sisters, hear this word today. we, We need to start valuing the inside more than we value the outside. The reason why I only got three claps on that is because, see, we like to value the outside because the outside gives us control. It gives us control. See, See, we, we feel so much more comfortable when people act like us, look like. Now, if there's anybody who should feel offended by that message of looking a certain way in order to be accepted, it ought to be black folk. Because for too long, we've been mistreated. We're getting killed. Thank God they indicted all five, six, seven, five. And there's more that need to be indicted. But our whole lives, we have been treated like second-class citizens because of the color of our skin. And then you get in church, you get sanctified, you get a little holy, and then you start doing the same thing. You start making judgments about people because of the way they look, what kind of car they drive, how they sing, how they praise, what they breath smell like, where they were last night. It ain't none of your dang on business. You need to worry about your inside and on account of us trying to fix others, there was an absence of the presence of God inside of us because if God were inside of you, then you would create life and where there is a life, there is liberty and where there is liberty, there is the spirit and where there is a spirit, there is healing. Where there's healing, there's breakthrough and I can tell if you've got him or not. I can't judge you, but I can judge your fruit. The Bible Bible says don't judge but the Bible does tell me to be a fruit inspector and the Bible asked me a question do you have love do you have joy some of y'all got to be knocked upside the head to praise the Lord I mean when I looked at some of y'all out there I'm wondering have y'all been to the same hell that I was in this week and yet made it out where's your praise where's your worship where's your joy I can fruit inspect. Scripture says I need to see love. I need to see joy. I need to see peace. I need to see meekness. I need to see some self-control. Go to the next one. Let's close this thing down. It says the same way on the outside, you appear to be, you appear to people as righteous. But on the inside, on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy 
and wickedness. Let's go to the next one. Number six, you crucify. All right, now. You crucify those who tell you the truth. Go to the text, because y'all going to think this is a pro-Edmonds point. It is. It's coming. And if, if anybody that tells truth, anybody. Look, look at the scripture. This is scripture. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You what? You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we, I say, oh, come on, y'all know, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Some of us, you mean, you know, we always talk about the children of Israel and just how wicked they were. And like, how they didn't get it? You know, you're amazed. You're like, you see a cloud by day and fire by night and you still don't trust God. You know what I'm saying? And we say to ourselves, ain't no way in the world I'd have been caught up in that foolishness out there in the wilderness. And watch what Jesus says. He says, so you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. He says, go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. In other words, Jesus is saying right now, you're saying we would have never killed the prophets. We would have never uh, 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 persecuted those that told the truth like people back then. But as they're saying that, they're planning on killing Jesus. It's like these people that sit around their dinner tables after church on Saturday and talk about people all day and then close the Sabbath. Yo behind never open. You, you. Notice what Jesus says. And look, I'm telling you, this is straight language, saints. You snakes. <laughs> you brood of vipers. He says, you children of snakes. He says, some of y'all are snakes and some of y'all are children of, of snakes. How will you escape being condemned to hell? I, <laughs> The Greek says, damned to hell. Yes. He's saying, I don't know. Jesus is like, I don't see how you're going to be saved. Jesus. You're so hypocritical. Because see, the problem is this. When you're unable to see your condition, you have gotten to a place of almost outside the realm of salvation. Let me tell you why. Because the only way one can be saved is one first has to admit that one is a sinner. But if you, too, but if you don't know that you jacked up, therefore, I am sending you prophets. Thank you. Now, he says, y'all ain't going to listen, but I'm going to send you people anyway. He says, I'm sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your own synagogues and pursue from town to town. Go to the next one. Y'all got me? Move that slide. You got some story? Oh, yes. And so upon you, now watch this, will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth. No, don't miss this. Don't get lazy because you got to read black people. And so upon you will come all the, black folk only get happy when the pastor raises his voice. Uh, receive some in your mind for a second. 
And so you will come, now watch this, you will come, will come on you all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come on the children. Let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying, because whenever you resist truth that comes from a, whenever you resist the truth that comes from God's word, no matter who it comes from, then you are heaping on you the guilt of every person that killed prophets from this time all the way to the beginning. There are those of you right now that have a hard time receiving the word from certain people. And I'm telling you what God will do because I know it. Sometimes God will send you the word that will change your life from the person you, you least like. Just to test you to see if you love the truth. For the Bible says in the last days that people are going to be, to be deceived, elder, because they have not received a what? A love of the truth. See, listen, if you love truth, you don't care who it comes from. As long as it's going to make you better. Anybody ever play sports in here before? Sometimes you have horrible coaches that cuss you out, that talk about you like a dog, but they're telling the truth about you, and they're telling you how to make you better. They're telling you how to make you stronger. They're telling you how to make you faster. But some of us are so doggone sensitive. If somebody tells us something and it's the truth, and it don't come the way we want it, we're offended by it. And I'm not giving people license to just come at you any kind of way. But what I am saying is, is you've got to learn how to try the spirits and let go of your ego. Sometimes God is speaking to you in ways that you least expected. Case in point, he used an ass to talk to Balaam. He used a woman named Ellen White in a time where they hated women and they saw them as second-class citizens to, to, to leave the Seventh-day Adventist church. Y'all better be careful. God might raise up a child in here to prophesy unto us. I, oh Lord, I've seen it happen in marriages where a child would give a prophetic word to his parents that were going through trouble. And that word would be a life-saving word. I don't know about you, but when you get to a point where you just want to change, you just want to be better. Anybody like that in here? You just want to be saved. You just want to grow. It don't matter how you grow. You just don't want to stay where you are. Anybody? Come on. I don't know about I want to grow. I want to get better. I want to get wiser. I want to be more faithful. And I don't care how it comes if it's going to bless me. <laughs> I want the blessing. If the blessing comes wrapped up in poop, so be it. I need a blessing. Let's end this thing. Last one. Now here's the worst. They are comfortable without the presence of God and uncomfortable without stuff. Ooh. Can I say that again? They are comfortable without the presence of God. I get to travel a little bit, and sometimes I go to churches. And Daniel, I mean, you, you ain't no glory in there. It's just routine and monotony and tradition and just going through the motions. Nobody's getting saved. Nobody's being delivered. Nobody's being healed. Nobody's receiving the truth. 
Nobody is crying out to God. Nobody is feeling, nobody is, is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Now, and does anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been in environments where you just sense a spirit of death? You, you feel no life? There are people like that here right now. And you are comfortably living in a condition where the presence of God is only on you and not in you. And we have grown accustomed to being comfortable without God's presence and uncomfortable if the cable's off. And uncomfortable if the music's too loud. And uncomfortable if somebody dresses down. And uncomfortable if somebody got a short skirt on. And uncomfortable if, we, if, 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 our, if, our, if our heat ain't on. And, and at the car, and, and God, I remember Moses, Moses, God said to Moses, he said, y'all so stiff-necked. He says, I'm not going with you. And Moses says, he says, you, he said, well, I'm not. And he said, kill me now. He says, because I will. He said, I'm not. I'd rather not be in the promised land if you're not going to be there. He says, I will not go another step unless your presence is with me. What I've come to realize is that the greatest commodity that the church has ever had, the greatest thing that gives us value, the greatest thing that gives us significance, the thing that makes us who we are is not so much what we have and how we drive and where we live and who we know. The thing that makes me who I am, the thing that gives me power in the midst of trials and tribulation, the thing that holds me in the midnight hour. Hey! The thing that keeps me prayed up when I want to cut somebody out. The thing that keeps my hands from evil when I want to do evil. You know what it is? It is the presence. It is the, it is the presence of Almighty God. And that's why I'm a worshiper. Not just when I get in a building. But that's why I bless him at all times. The Bible says that he inhabits the praise of his people have you ever been in a moment like my pastor down in Columbus where you're in the middle of a hot car and it's on fire and the devil tells you I've got you now and then you tap in to the presence of the God and you say Lord I need you where are you I feel like I'm by myself would you not come down where I am right now I need you oh I need you I can't move without your presence for in his presence is fullness of joy and by his right hand are pleasures forevermore hey hey but did not David say he says he says he said if I rise to heaven thou art there how many know he'll meet you at church and he'll meet you in your closet and he'll meet you in fasting and He'll meet you in the word. But did you also know the Bible says, if I make my bed in hell, thou art there. He'll meet you on the abortion table. He'll meet you in the crack house. Hey, he'll meet you in the unemployment line. Somebody talk back to me in here. Won't God meet you? Won't he, won't he, won't he, won't he, won't he? He will show up on time. If I feel all by myself, I know how to call on the name of Jesus. I don't know how you call him, but sometimes I say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, I need you. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him, all and all. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Do you not love his presence? Hey, hey, let me testify. 
There have been times. There have been times in my life. Hey! Thank you. There have been times in my life where there was nobody with me. And watch this now. I didn't feel the presence. Watch this. Some of y'all, y'all need to hear this. I don't need to feel the presence of God no more. Some of y'all waiting on a feeling. Watch this text so I can make my point. Go to that. Put that text down. Put that text down. Yes. Uh-oh. What happened? Y'all didn't give me my text. Or it ain't there? Watch this. Once you look there. Matthew 23. Watch this. Oh, bless his name. He says in verse 37 of Matthew 23, he says, Jerusalem. See, after Jesus goes off on him, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings? Well, here it goes. But you were not willing. He says, look, oh Lord, oh Lord, your house is left to you desolate. In many, in many of our homes, in many of our lives, the presence of God, the presence of God is in demand and it don't even bother you. It don't even bother your house is desolate. And the only thing you mad about is you don't got no money and, and you don't got no friends. And, and, you, and you know how insulting that is to a God who the Bible says that if we'll seek his face and turn. Did anybody come here ready to worship today? I don't want to play games with nobody in here today. Where are the real folk at in here? Do you know what I'm talking about? When you are between a rock and a hard place. And all you know how to do is say, Father, I stretch my hands to you. Sometimes a scripture doesn't come to your mind. So sometimes there's no praise team to get you hyped. I don't need to feel Jesus. You know why? Because he had already promised, I will never leave you. Somebody should have took off running. Somebody should have danced before God. I will never leave you, nor... I don't need to feel Jesus because I know he's all over me and he's keeping me alive. <laughs> stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. We got to go. Listen. Bad religion. Bad religion. Bad religion, y'all. It's full of hypocrisy. Full of show. And, and here's the, here, here is the, the destination of this kind of spirituality. I need your prayers right now. Let me tell you, the only result of this is the absence of the presence of God. Can I put that in layman's terms for you? You know what that is? It's when the Holy Spirit, listen to me. Some of y'all, there's some of us who feel guilty that you was not in church. Can I give you something else to feel bad about? That you do not have the Holy Ghost. Did you hear what I said? 
The Bible says there is a sin that is unforgivable. And that is the sin. I wish I had my young folk listening to me right now. I wish I had that balcony. I wish I had everybody in here feeling this preacher right now. When you live a lifestyle that treats Jesus as a jump off, as a side piece, the only result is the absence of the presence of God. I don't know about you, man, but the thing that ought to bother us the most is, man, I don't feel as pride. I didn't wake up and have devotion this morning. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had a day when, when you got up, you was too busy, and you was caught up, and you didn't spend time with God, you didn't cry out to him and ask for his presence, and you just didn't feel right? And here's the thing. Here's the scary thing. There are many of us who comfortably live every day without God's indwelling presence, and we are right with it. Because you got stuff. You got religion. You got the red books. You got a Bible in your house, but you don't have a Bible in your heart. Listen, I'm telling you, I am sick and tired of coming to a building for a couple of hours on a Saturday. And then that's the extent of my Holy Ghost experience. And if the service ain't the way I like it, and if it ain't moving and grooving the way I need it, then I don't got a blessing. But if I've got God's presence, I don't come here looking for his presence. I'm not praying, asking for his presence. Man, I got his presence. Anybody want to join the church? I don't got no, no clever story right now or a clever song. Is anybody here the Holy Spirit telling them, join this church right now? You hear God talking. I want you to move out of your seat. You ain't afraid. You ain't worried. You're not thinking about who's watching or what's going to happen tomorrow. What I've discovered when you're making these decisions, you ought to follow the first voice that talks to you and not the second. The second one is one of fear.